0: Section thirty two of the Book of A Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of A Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume six, by Anonymous, Translated by Richard Francis Burton. Section thirty two. When it was the Six Hundred and Twenty-third Night, she said it hath reached me o auspicious king that when the wazir whispered the king judar seeketh alliance with thee by taking thy daughter to wife the other replied the dowry i have already received and the girl is his handmaid he will do me honour by accepting her so they spent the rest of that night together and on the morrow the king held a court to which he summoned great and small together with the sheik al-islam Then Judar demanded the princess in marriage, and the king said, The dowry I have received. Thereupon they drew up the marriage contract, and Judar sent for the saddle-bags containing the jewels, and gave them to the king as settlement upon his daughter. The drums beat, and the pipes sounded, and they held high festival, whilst Judar went in unto the girl. Thenceforward he and the king were as one flesh, and they abode thus for many days, till Shams al-Daula died whereupon the troops proclaimed judar sultan and he refused but they importuned him till he consented and they made him king in his father-in-law's stead then he bade build a cathedral mosque over the late king's tomb in the bunducania quarter and endowed it now the quarter of judar's house was called yamania but when he became sultan he built therein a congregational mosque and other buildings wherefore the quarter was named after him and was called the judaria quarter Moreover, he made his brother Salim his wazir of the right, and his brother Salim his wazir of the left hand, and thus they abode a year and no more, for at the end of that time Salim said to Salim, O my brother, how long is this state to last? Shall we pass our whole lives in slavery to our brother Judar? We shall never enjoy luck or lordship whilst he lives, adding, So how shall we do to kill him and take the ring and the saddle-bags? Replied Salim. Thou art craftier than I, do Thou devise whereby we may kill him? If I effect this, asked Salim, wilt Thou agree that I be sultan, and keep the ring, and that Thou be my right hand, wazir, and have the saddle-bags?" Salim answered, I consent to this, and they agreed to slay Judar their brother for love of the world and of dominion. So they laid a snare for Judar, and said to him, O our brother! Verily we have a mind to glory in thee, and would fain have thee enter our houses, and eat of our entertainment, and solace our hearts. Replied Judar, So be it, in whose house shall the banquet be. In mine, said Salim, and after thou hast eaten of my victual, thou shalt be the guest of my brother. Said Judar, Tis well, and went with him to his house, where he set before him poisoned food, of which when he had eaten his flesh rotted from his bones, and he died. Then Salim came up to him, and would have drawn the ring from his finger, but it resisted him. So he cut off the finger with a knife, then he rubbed the ring, and the Marid presented himself, saying, "Adsum. ask what thou wilt. Quoth Salim, Take my brother Salim, and put him to death, and carry forth the two bodies, the poisoned and the slaughtered, and cast them down before the troops. So the Marid took Salim, and slew him, then carrying the two corpses forth, he cast them down before the chief officers of the army, who were sitting at table in the parlour of the house. When they saw Judar and Salim slain, they raised their hands from the food, and fear get hold of them, and they said to the marid,—'Who hath dealt thus with the sultan and the wazir?' replied the genie,—'Their brother Salim.' And behold, Salim came up to them, and said,—'O soldiers, eat and make merry, for Judar is dead, and I have taken to me the seal-ring, whereof the marid before you is the servant. And I bade him slay my brother Salim, lest he dispute the kingdom with me, for he was a traitor, and I feared lest he should betray me. So now I am become sultan over you, will ye accept of me? If not, I will rub the ring, and bid the marid slay you all, great and small." And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the six hundred and twenty-fourth night, she continued, "'It hath reached me, O auspicious king that when Salim said to the officers, Will ye accept me as your sultan, otherwise I will rub the ring, and the marid shall slay you all, great and small, they replied, We accept thee to king and sultan. And then he bade bury his brothers, and summoned the divan. And some of the folk followed the funeral, whilst others forewent him in state procession to the audience hall of the palace, where he sat down on the throne, and they did homage to him as king. After which he said, it is my will to marry my brother Judar's wife. Quoth they, Wait till the days of widowhood are accomplished. Quoth he, I know not days of widowhood, or aught else. As my head liveth, I needs must go in unto her this very night." So they drew up the marriage-contract, and sent to tell the Princess Asiyah, who replied, Bid him enter. Accordingly he went in to her, and she received him with a show of joy and welcome. But by and by she gave him poison in water, and made an end of him. Then she took the ring, and broke it, that none might possess it thenceforward, and tore up the saddle-bags, after which she sent to the sheik al-Islam, and other great officers of state, telling them what had passed, and saying to them, Choose you out a king to rule over you. And this is all that hath come down to us of the story of Judar and his brethren. But I have also heard, O king, a tale called The History of Garib and His Brother Ajib There was once in olden time a king of might, Kundamir Haiz, who had been a brave and doughty man of war, a Karaman in his day, but was grown passing old and decrepit. Now it pleased Allah to vouchsafe him, in his extreme senility, a son whom he named Ajib, the Wonderful, because of his beauty and loveliness. So he committed the babe to the midwives, and wet-nurses, and handmaids, and serving-women, and they reared him till he was full seven years old, when his father gave him in charge to a divine of his own folk and faith. The priest taught him the laws and tenets of their misbelief, and instructed him in philosophy and all manner of other knowledge, and it needed but three full-told years, ere he was proficient therein, and his spirit waxed resolute and his judgment mature, and he became learned, eloquent, and philosophic, consorting with the wise and disputing with the doctors of the law. When his father saw this of him, it pleased him, and he taught him to back the steed and stab with spear and smite with sword, till he grew to be an accomplished cavalier, versed in all martial exercises, and by the end of his twentieth year he surpassed in all things all the folk of his day. But his skill in weapons made him grow up a stubborn tyrant and a devil arrogant, using to ride forth a hunting and a chasing amongst a thousand horsemen and to make raids and razias upon the neighbouring knights, cutting off caravans, and carrying away the daughters of kings and nobles. Wherefore many brought complaints against him to his father, who cried out to five of his slaves, and when they came said, Seize this dog. So they seized Prince Ajib, and pinioning his hands behind him, beat him by his father's command, till he lost his senses, after which the king imprisoned him in a chamber so dark one might not know heaven from earth, or length from breadth and there he abode two days and a night. Then the Emirs went into the king, and kissing the ground between his hands, interceded with him for the prince, and he released him. So Ajib bore with his father for ten days, at the end of which he went into him as he slept by night, and smote his neck. When the day rose, he mounted the throne of his sire's estate, and bade his men arm themselves cap a pied in steel, and stand with drawn swords in front of him, and on his right hand, and on his left. By-and-by the emirs and captains entered, and finding their king slain, and his son Ajib seated on the throne, were confounded in mind, and knew not what to do. But Ajib said to them, O folk, verily ye see what your king hath gained. Whoso obeyeth me, I will honour him, and whoso gainsayeth me, I will do with him that which I did with my sire. When they heard these words, they feared lest he do them a mischief, so they replied, thou art our king and the son of our king and kissed ground before him whereupon he thanked them and rejoiced in them then he bade bring forth money and apparel and clad them in sumptuous robes of honour and showered largesse upon them wherefore they all loved him and obeyed him in like manner he honoured the governors of the provinces and the sheikhs of the Badawin, both tributary and independent so that the whole kingdom submitted to him and the folk obeyed him, and he reigned and bade and forbade in peace and quiet for a time of five months. One night, however, he dreamed a dream as he lay slumbering, whereupon he awoke, trembling, nor did sleep visit him again till morning. As soon as it was dawn he mounted his throne, and his officers stood before him, right and left. Then he called the Oniramants and the astrologers, and said to them, Expound to me my dream. What was the dream? asked they. And he answered, As I slept last night, I saw my father standing before me, with his yard uncovered, and there came forth of it a thing the bigness of a bee, which grew till it became as a mighty lion, with claws like hangers. As I lay wondering at this, lo, it ran upon me, and smiting me with its claws, rent my belly in sunder, whereupon I awoke startled and trembling. So expound ye to me the meaning of this dream." The interpreters looked one at other and after considering said o mighty king this dream pointeth to one born of thy sire between whom and thee shall befall strife and enmity Wherein he shall get the better of thee so be on thy guard against him by reason of this thy vision When ajib heard their words he said I have no brother whom I should fear so this your speech is mere lying they replied we tell thee not save what we know but he was enangered with them, and bastinadoed them. Then he arose, and going into the paternal palace examined his father's concubines, and found one of them seven months gone with child. Whereupon he gave an order to two of his slaves, saying, Take this damsel, ye twain, and carry her to the seashore and drown her. So they took her forthright, and going to the seashore, designed to drown her. When they looked at her, and seeing her to be of singular beauty and loveliness, said to each other, why should we drown this damsel? Let us rather carry her to the forest, and live with her there in rare lovely us. Then they took her, and fared on with her days and nights till they had borne her afar off, and had brought her to a bushy forest, abounding in fruit-trees and streams, where they both thought at the same time to win their will of her. But each said, "'I will have her first.' So they fell out one with the other, concerning this, and while so doing a company of blackamoors came down upon them and they drew their swords and both sides fell to laying on load the melee waxed hot with cut and thrust and the two slaves fought their best but the blacks slew them both in less than the twinkling of an eye so the damsel abode alone and wandered about the forest eating of its fruits and drinking of its founts till in due time she gave birth to a boy brown but clean-limbed and comely whom she named garib the stranger by reason of her strangerhood then she cut his navel-string, and wrapping him in some of her own clothes, gave him to suck, harrowed at heart, and with vitals sorrowing for the estate she had lost, and its honour and solace. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the six hundred and twenty-fifth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the damsel abode in the bush, harrowed at heart, and assorrowed. But she suckled her babe, albeit she was full of grief and fear for her loneliness. Now behold, one day there came horsemen and footmen into the forest, with hawks and hounds, and horses laden with partridges, and cranes, and wild geese, and divers other waterfowl and young ostriches, and hares, and gazelles, and wild oxen, and lynxes, and wolves, and lions. Presently these Arabs entered the thicket, and came upon the damsel, sitting with her child on her breast a-suckling him so they drew near and asked her say art thou a mortal or a jinnia answered she i am a mortal o chiefs of the arabs thereupon they told her emir whose name was mardas principal of the banu and who had come forth that day to hunt with five hundred of his cousins and the nobles of his tribe and who in the course of the chase had happened upon her he bade them bring her before him which they did and she related to him her past from first to last, whereat he marvelled. Then he cried to his kinsman and escort to continue the chase, after which they took her, and returned to their encampment, where the emir appointed her a separate dwelling-place, and five damsels to serve her, and he loved her with exceeding love, and went in to her, and lay with her. She conceived by him straightway, and when her months were accomplished, she bare a man-child, and named him Sahim al Layl. He grew up with his brother Gabriel among the nurses, and throve and waxed upon the lap of the Emir Madas, who, in due time, committed the two boys to a fakih for instruction in the things of their faith, after which he gave them in charge to a valiant of knights of the Arabs, for training them to smite with sword, and lunge with lance, and shoot with shaft. So by the time they reached the age of fifteen, they knew all they needed, and surpassed each and every brave of their tribe for Garib would undertake a thousand horse, and Sahim al Layl no fewer. Now Mardas had many enemies, and the men of his tribe were the bravest of all the Arabs. Being doughty cavaliers, none might warn himself at their fire. In his neighbourhood was an emir of the Arabs, Hassan bin Sabbat Hait, who was his intimate friend, and he took to wife a noble lady of his tribe, and bade all his friends to the wedding, amongst them Mardas, lord of the Banu Khattan who accepted his invitation and set forth with three hundred riders of his tribe, leaving other four hundred to guard the women. Hasan met him with honour and seated him in the highest stead. Then came all the cavaliers to the bridle, and he made them bride-feasts and held high festival by reason of the marriage, after which the Arabs departed to their dwelling-places. When Mardas came in sight of his camp he saw slain men lying about and birds hovering over them right and left, and his heart sank within him at the sight. Then he entered the camp and was met by Garib, clad in complete suit of ring-mail, who gave him joy of his safe return. Quoth Mardas, What meaneth this case, O Garib? And quoth Garib, Al-Hamal bin Majid, attacked us with five hundred horsemen of his tribe. Now the reason of this was that the emir Mardas had a daughter called Madia, Seer never saw a fairer than she, and Al-Hamal, lord of the Banu Naban, heard of her charms whereupon he took horse with five hundred of his men and rode to mardas to demand her hand but he was not accepted and was sent away disappointed so he awaited till mardas was absent on his visit to hassan when he mounted with his champions and falling upon the camp of the banu slew a number of their knights and the rest fled to the mountains now garib and his brother had ridden forth a-hunting and chasing with an hundred horse and returned not till midday when they found that al-Hamal had seized the camp and all therein, and had carried off the maidens, among whom was Madiah, driving her away with the captives. When Garib saw this, he lost his wits for rage, and cried out to Sahim, saying, O oh my brother, O oh son of an accursed dam, they have plundered our camp and carried off our women and children, up and at the enemy that we may deliver the captives. So Garib and Sahim, and their hundred horse rushed upon the foe, and garib's wrath redoubled and he reaped a harvest of heads slain given the champion's death cup to drain till he won to al hamal and saw madia among the captives then he drave at the lord of the banu naban braves with his lance lunged him and from his destrier hurled him nor was the time of mid-afternoon prayer come before he had slain the most part of the foe and put to rout the rest and rescued the captives whereupon he returned to the camp in triumph bearing the head of al-hamal on the point of his lance, and improvising these couplets. I am he who is known on the day of fight, And the jinn of earth at my shade take fright, And a sword have I when my right hand wields, Death hastens from left on mankind to alight. I have eke a lance, and who look thereon, See a crescent head of the liveliest light, And garib I'm highs of my tribe the brave, And if few my men I feel not affright. Hardly had Garib made an end of these verses, when up came Mardas, who, seeing the slain and the vultures, was sore troubled, and with fluttering heart asked the cause. The youth, after due greetings, related all that had befallen the tribe in his stepsire's absence. So Mardas thanked him, and said, Thou hast well requited our fosterage pains in rearing thee, O Garib. Then he alighted and entered his pavilion, and the men stood about him. All the tribe praising Garib and saying, "O our emir!" But for Garib, not one of the tribe had been saved. And Mardas again thanked him, and Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day and ceased to say her permitted say. End of section 32. Recording by Bill Borst.